The time has come for you to lead a reorg. But what's the right mindset? What do you do? And in what order? In this conversation, how to approach a reorg in a way that helps the organization move forward and thrive. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 621. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Anytime we hear the term reorg, I know many of us start to roll our eyes and think about the challenges and the frustrations that go along with reorgs. And yes, there are challenges and frustrations, and also there's opportunity. Today, we're going to look at how we can do a better job as leaders of approaching a reorg in an effective way. I'm so glad to welcome an expert today who's going to really help illuminate so many steps for us on this. Claire Hughes-Johnson is a corporate officer and advisor for Stripe a global technology company that builds economic infrastructure for the internet. She previously served as Stripe's chief operating officer, helping the company grow from fewer than 200 employees to more than 8,000. Prior to Stripe, Claire spent 10 years at Google leading various business teams, including overseeing aspects of Gmail, Google Apps, and consumer operations. She is a board member at Hallmark Cards, The Atlantic, Amoresco, and HubSpot. Claire also serves as a trustee and the current board president of Milton Academy. She is the author of Scaling People, Tactics for Management and Company Building. Claire, what a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much, Dave. It's wonderful to be here. We all love to hate reorgs, it seems like, (laughs) especially those who've been through a lot of them and, and maybe it wasn't their choice. And I think part of that is reorgs and restructuring are are often perceived to be the sign of a problem. And one of the things that I really appreciate that you point out in your work is that's not always the case, is it? Definitely not. I think part of my career, as, as you noted, is to, I've been in very high growth environments, which are environments where there's a ton of change. And if you're not reorganizing, you might have a problem because you really have to accommodate whether that's globalization, new product lines, new opportunities, new customer segments, And so I sort of, if you will, I grew up as a leader in an environment where reorganization was pretty constant and it can, it can be destabilizing. And I certainly do relate to those folks who's, who give a big sigh when they hear the word reorg, but I think it can be a sign of dynamism, a sign of success. But then of course, if you don't accomplish the reorg in an, in a really thoughtful and intentional and well-communicated manner, it can become an albatross. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really picked up as a distinction in your work, that it's the best of intentions for all the right reasons can certainly go south if you don't really handle it well, communicate it well. And I think we've all seen examples of that happen in organizations. And one of the things you point out is that there's a couple of things to look for when you're answering that question, well, why would we reorganize? And in particular, Mm -hmm. there's a couple of triggers that you invite us to watch for. One of them is the team structure doesn't match your strategy. Tell me more about what that means and what would be the indicators that that's happening. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the number one trigger. And I hope for people because it's it's a sign that you're really tracking your strategy and reevaluating it. But I always get nervous when someone's leading a conversation about where they're taking their team and they don't start with the strategy because the team really should be a mirror of that. And some signs to look for is, well, one, have you had a strategic shift Sometimes that shift can be quite a simple one. I already referenced it. Maybe there's a new product line. Maybe you're a sales team and you've been selling one product, right? And then all of a sudden you're you're taking on, hey, we're selling multiple products. That's a big shift, even though it seems like a simple thing, just add one product. Or maybe you're going into a new market or you've or a new market is growing quite rapidly. And you look at your structure and you think, huh, there's someone. I think this happens a lot with when you're taking your company international, which is someone who had a certain market they were responsible for, say the United States, all of a sudden has five markets, right? Mm. They Well, we added Mexico and we added Central America. And oh, by the way, why don't we just tack on? It sort of creeps in. And then you've got someone who've got, who's got your biggest territory. And then on the side, they're running your fastest growing new territories, And you have to ask yourself, well, is that strategically the right use of that person? And is that giving enough attention to something that might be my source of growth two years from now that's most critical? And that's a trigger is just take a look at the numbers or take a look at the footprint, take a look at the products, the business, and ask yourself, am I overemphasizing one part of the business at the risk of not putting enough leadership attention on on my future growth? You said a moment ago that it kind of raises a flag for you when a leader is talking with you and they're not leading a conversation about this with thinking about strategy. And I'm curious, what are the things you hear that person say in situations like that, that are indicators to you that maybe they're not thinking first about the strategy? Yeah, I think that they start the conversation often reporting on the current state. Right. So instead of starting the conversation with, here's where I want to go and here's what's important, they kind of dive right in. It's almost like you've got a sandwich. And instead of describing the sandwich, you're sort of saying, let me just start with the the filling. And and I think that's not that's not the whole picture. But they're very, you know what this is like, Dave. But when you're in the day-to-day, you get in a day-to-day mindset and you start describing well my current team looks like this and our current goal is this and here's my current number one metric that matters and here's where it is and i think great thank you right i'm really appreciate hearing your where you're sitting right this second but i'd love to start just want to back that person up and say where are you going and why why does it matter that you get there and then understand where is your current state relative to that destination? Because that's the interesting context for a much more interesting conversation. Yeah. And that's really what leaders are called to do, right? It's about change and mm-hmm. it's about the vision for the future. And I think that's really good like self-coaching for any of <laughs> us who are thinking about this or making that pitch internally of doing something differently, but also to be listening for the people who may be making that pitch to us. Are they approaching this? from the big picture, the what's next. Right. They're almost being too much of a manager, right? And not enough of the leader. And everyone has to do that balance and rebalancing. And so how can you coach them to step back exactly and say, okay, where's the leading part of this? Where's the vision? The other trigger is that there's a talent issue. What's different about a talent issue from 
looking at the strategy? Yeah, I think you you hope you avoid you avoid the talent trigger by having good succession planning, for example. But if you're a younger organization or a fast moving organization, that is often not totally realistic, right? You're not always going to have a successor or multiple successors. And so what could happen, and this tends to be reactive, but it's reality, is that you could lose someone on the team, whether it's a performance issue or whether they they got another opportunity, another role at another company. And you have to look at your structure and say, okay, what am I going to do now? Am I going to hire a backfill and I'm going to have to run that division myself, right? Maybe for three to six months while I find someone. Am I going to take advantage of the fact that there's a departure and maybe look at my structure and ask myself, it almost leads you back to trigger one. Is this actually a chance to change my structure to match my strategy better? Which sometimes it is, and maybe you should have been looking in that in the first place. And so I think that's the, I do worry sometimes that people immediately when things aren't going well with their strategy, think it's a talent issue and they want to restructure. In this case, I'd really caution you, don't blame the talent. But if you do have a loss or a gap, use it as an opportunity to examine uh, do you have the optimal structure and make a very intentional decision about either keeping the structure and hiring or hopefully getting someone internal or actually using it as a chance to change. And, and so that second trigger is very much related to the first one sometimes. And I do want to ask you a bit later about the the trap that sometimes we get into is like building structure all about one, one person, which certainly I yes. think <laughs> yeah. we've all seen happen many times. Before we get there, though, there's a third trigger that you warn us a bit about. It's And you say this often gets misused, an mm-hmm. underperforming team or a team that otherwise mm-hmm. isn't working well really gets targeted for a reorg. What is it that's misused about that? I mean, certainly if a team is not performing, you do want to take a close look and understand what's the root issue. What's happening? Are they not, do they not have the right capabilities, the right skills internally? Is there a leadership problem? Is it the wrong leader? Is it the wrong strategy? Are they, are they swimming upstream as it were, and you haven't done enough to unblock them? I mean, you have to look at yourself too. I worry that too often when we're moving quickly, again, I've tended to work in very high growth, high pressure environments, we can default to thinking there is a people issue, right? We think, oh, well, this must be either the leader or some of the, or the team is wrong somehow. Mm. And although that could be the case, it is not as often the case as I think people think it is. I think that those individuals are perhaps they're in the wrong role, but maybe they're not, they've not been set up for success. And if you don't look at that first, I think you're doing a disservice and you may be creating more reorgs than you really need. And unfortunately, you're going to find, I mean, I've seen too often, honestly, someone say, okay, I'm going to take out that leader, put that team under this other leader that I think is great. And what happens? Well, one, the other leader might be then handling too much scope and complexity and they start to falter. And two, the team still has structural issues, right? There's a there's an environment issue, there's a there's an obstacle, there's a lack of internal capabilities, whatever it is, they are still faltering. So you've then actually sort of insult to injury in this case. And and I've seen that too often, not to bring it up, Dave, honestly. When you've seen that. What would someone notice early on that might be 
an indicator that they're using a reorg as kind of a catch-all just for mm-hmm. other team stuff going on. H- have you seen yeah. patterns for that, that like the kind of things we should watch for? Yeah. Well, I think one is there's a, I, I talk in, in part of my book in Scaling People about diagnosing your team state. And I think that one of the patterns is someone not spending time on that. Right, they're jumping to kind of a conclusion. There, this is one of these things that's that's tricky for me because I often talk about how leaders are the key. I, I love your podcast, right? If you don't start there, it's very hard to finish. But I think if you jump there too quickly and say, "Well, it must be a leadership problem," then you're doing a disservice. So it's one of these balancing points. But but my argument would be someone who has one seen some signs of distress, whether that's in the metrics and in, in missing goals. And jumps too quickly and says, well, obviously, so-and-so, Pete, Pete's not, not the right leader, right? And, and, you, and you ask, I, I love the Toyota five whys. You know, you sort of try to ask some probing questions. You say, like, well, why do you think that? And there's just not a lot of there there. That's one sign. I think another sign is not, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of accountable ownership in anyone who's a leader. And if this is one of your teams under you... And you don't start the conversation with, what could I be doing differently? I'm a little worried. So number one bad sign is if you jump to the to people is the problem too quickly. And another is if you don't talk about yourself, like maybe did I set the right goals? Does the team have the right supporting structures to, to create the conditions for their success? And you want to have really walked through everything before you start with, well, is it the wrong leader? That That's, that's my advice. Yeah, so much of this comes back to personal leadership and everything mm-hmm. we do. I mean, it's not it's not about us, but it is important to start with like looking at ourselves first so that we can serve better. And speaking of personal leadership, this may be colored by the fact that our freezer just broke in our house. And so <laughs> I'm thinking about that. But the line that I highlighted most in the book is don't leave ice cream on the counter too yeah. long. <laughs> and I think there's a really good story there for organizational change. Tell me about that analogy. Yeah, it's actually, I'm so glad you brought it up because I was was just talking about doing that diagnosis of the team state. I wanted to add a point, which is do it quickly. By the way, I don't think this is an extensive process because just as you brought up, you, if you start the change process and you don't complete it with speed, you are putting the ice cream on the counter. And that that come, that analogy comes from a business school professor of mine whose name is Sigal Barsade. And, and she was a fantastic professor, but also researcher. And it researched actually the role often of emotion in, in the workplace and in decision-making. She tragically passed away in the last year, which is a huge loss. Mm. Uh, but she she brought this up in an organizational behavior and change class and said, look, you know when you take the ice cream out of the freezer and you put it on the counter because you're scooping yourself some ice cream, my teenage son does this to us all the time, and you leave it on the counter a little too long. Maybe you got distracted eating the ice cream, right? And it sort of melts a little bit and the consistency changes, and then you put it back in the freezer and it is never the same. Mm, And her advice about change management was do not leave the ice cream on the counter for too long because you are going to change the consistency of the org and it might not be for the better. And it's what's what's even funnier is I've actually told this story, this analogy to the Stripe executive team over the years and we now have a shorthand 
which is ice cream's on the counter. You know, like it's a little warning to each other when we think we've started some change that we're not moving moving quickly enough on. So if you are going to undertake a change process, whether that's the diagnosis of the team condition or you believe you do need a new structure, you really want to be very thoughtful and intentional about how that process is conducted, who's included, but how long you're spending on it. Because a lot of the the fatigue, honestly, over reorgs is because people get, I almost picture clothes getting pulled into a washing machine. All of a sudden, everyone's circling around and and, and not really getting anywhere. Uh, and it feels pretty painful. If, if you're not the decision maker, you're just waiting to know what's the new structure and you're somehow pulled into a moment of indecision, it can be really hard to keep doing your job, to keep running forward. And that's why we all get fatigued. And what you just said is when I hear people really struggling with reorgs, either they themselves are involved in the process or they are seeing it coming at them. Yeah. It's the, this goes on and on and on. Maybe there's a second version of the reorg and a third or version. And yeah. it seems like the yeah. organization goes six months with not really clarifying things. And of course, exactly. there's a there's a time and a place, I'm sure, to spread things out in, uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But I, the bias here is really to move quickly when, you, when you're yeah. doing a reorg. Yeah. The bias is to move quickly. Or you just brought up something that I think is another trap, which is, okay, you've got to get somewhere that's probably going to take a few years. That's in your strategy, but that's probably also going to be then in your structure. But sometimes people start making incremental changes, Dave, right? Trying to get to that place when in fact they should have been thinking, I'm going to do two changes, only two, right? One this year and one next year or Mm. one this year and one in three years. Does that make sense? Like, I think you start tinkering, if you will, with the org and then it just feels like you're in a reorg for six months, 12 months. And you really actually want to preserve stability. So even though you're eager to get to that future state, if you don't have all the components yet, don't tinker your way there. Try to try to make some very distinct, rapid action periods and then let things settle. Yeah. I'm just thinking about this as you're saying that. And I am often inviting our members and our listeners to start small. Mm. We, we, you and I have heard in the technology space, minimum viable product and service. Yes. Smart small, test things, try things mm-hmm. out. And I think for a lot of kinds of things like professional development, habits, behavior change, like that's really good and smart. And I think perhaps sometimes like we think about all of that good, like start small, little things, don't bite off more than you can chew. And then we take that same thinking into something like a reorg and we say, oh, let me like test things out and let's try things for a few weeks and let's do this. And I, I, again, I'm sure there's a time and a place for that, but generally that's not 100%. the strategy to use here. Yes, I love that because you're exactly right. Starting small and piloting and testing is often the best advice, but not in this case, right? I do think the only, the version of starting small when it comes to reorgs is probably only this, which is say you've got a a management team under you and you have an open position, right? The small start is just to be really thoughtful about what you feel that, you know, who's the person you put in that open position because you have a plan for some future state, right? But that's it. Otherwise, you've got to just, I think, be really careful about tinkering. Mm. I I mentioned a bit ago that 
there's a a bit of a warning in the book about creating structure around an individual. And yeah. and I'd love to come back to that. And I'm quoting you now. There's a couple sentences here that really caught my attention. You say, I've made this mistake myself. You get enamored with a particular team member and think they will solve all your problems. Or worse, you have a critical person threatening to leave if they don't get yeah. more responsibility. So you restructure your teams around them. If you think about it, this is a ridiculous thing to do. And as I'm reading that, I'm like, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. And yet, how I've done it. <laughs> how We've often? All done it. Done, what uh. what ends up being ridiculous about this? And like, what's the what's the thing to watch for that we should we should guard against? Yeah, no, I that's my favorite part. I mean, my book right is really written by a practitioner, right? Not not yeah, a, yeah. not an academic, not not necessarily an expert in in organizational behavior and development. But I will say the benefit of being a practitioner is I'm fully ready to admit that I have made every single mistake that I talk about in this book because all of the theory in the world hits reality. And we've all been smacked in the face with it and had to dust ourselves off. And so, yes, it does conceptually sound ridiculous, but it is absolutely something that happens, which is why we got to talk about it. And we got to talk about how do you avoid that? And then, and as I said in the book, the question you want to ask yourself, because you may have to do this, which is, is this the person you want to break your structure for? Mm. And sometimes, Dave, the answer is yes. But just reassure me that you've asked yourself that question, because what you've done is something that's antithetical to my main advice here, which is your structure and your strategy need to match. And so if if your strategy is one thing and you broke your structure for one individual, then are you breaking your strategy, right? That's the question. And you really want to at least be intentional about that choice. But yeah, that, let, let me just say on mitigating that, which is probably your next question, how do you avoid it? I think there is, well, one, don't ever think one person solves all your problems. I have my, I will speak for myself. I have never solved <laughs> anyone, <laughs> all of anyone's problems. We're all human beings. We have strengths and we have areas for, you know, gaps and we need each other to complement each other. But I, I do see some folks, you know, it often happens where you hire someone new and they have a really strong start and they seem just like so amazing and talented and competent and, and, and you just want to give them everything to solve all your problems. And all you do is just pile them up like Atlas holding the world on their shoulders and they eventually fall over. So please avoid that and, and try to help complement the people around you with other people, not just one person. But the second thing that to, to mitigate the don't break your structure is, okay, so the person's threatening to leave. One, I hope you've had conversations with them and you have a manager report relationship where that's not a surprise, right? So what could you have been mitigating? You could have been in a dialogue about their ambitions, their development, where you thought their career was going, where they wanted their career to go. But if they sort of show up and say, well, I'm out of here, and that's a surprise to you, I feel like you have some management work to do, some dialogue work you should have done, but too bad. Maybe it didn't happen, or maybe they got an, a, a job offer out of the blue. That was just too tempting, but you you want to try to mitigate that. I think the other thing you want to do is they come to you and say, hey, I need more responsibility. I think automatically you're both picturing their current job, right, Dave? You're thinking, okay, yeah. I've got to somehow put some of their peers under them or they're picturing taking my job. But you, you, you kind of put yourself in a box when you think that the answer is the current state somehow. And my other mitigating advice would be to say, 
take a deep breath, step way back, look at the entire picture of your company, your organization, and not just the the stuff you're responsible for, and ask yourself whether there's an opportunity for them, for their development, for their growth, where they'd have a positive impact that is not in your current state, not in your org, right? Yeah. And that's hard sometimes because you're basically taking sometimes your most talented person and you're handing them to another part of the company. But gosh, I hope you do that instead of letting them leave. Yeah. Uh, but that's the other mitigating thing. You got to really think big, think beyond your own world. Someone told me a while back, role first, person second, like define Mm -hmm. the role. What do you need? goes back to what you said earlier, the strategy, right? What does the team need? What does the organization need right now? And then, okay, who's the right person for that? And I stumbled upon, it's been a number of years now, but a study on how often, like if you save someone, someone's threatening to leave and you make a counteroffer or whatever, and they decide to stay, like the percentage is pretty high that that person still departs in another six months or a year. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact number, mm-hmm. but I think it's just, yes. a, again, like you said, it's not that we'd never do it, but it's like a caution. It's so easy in the moment to get pulled into the emotion of a single person and all they can do and to sometimes forget that big picture of coming back to what you said at the beginning of like big picture first, start there. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I want to, I mean, I, I haven't seen that study, but I'll tell you anecdotally, I, I'm really not a fan of this sort of they come to you and then you throw money at the problem, they're going to be leaving. I guarantee you. Yeah. I mean, you might increase their salary. You might keep them for six more months, but much better in that situation to say, hey, look, I hear you on compensation. I'm absolutely going to take into account w- when that time comes for our company. But what I really want to look at is maybe you're just not getting the development opportunity. Maybe you're not being challenged. And look at whether there's something they could be doing internally that's different, because then you at least have a shot of retaining them. Because mm. I agree, just throwing money at them, they're going to leave. They're on the way out. And and that's a great that's great to cite that. Once a leader gets into a reorg, there's three phases that you outline. And yeah. the first one you call phase zero, decide whether you need a reorg and determine <laughs> your new structure. Who's involved and what's involved in the that decision process before you're even doing anything, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the smallest number involved is you, but I think it could be a small group. But he- here's here's what makes the most sense, which is, say you've just been doing your planning process, right? You've been refreshing your strategy, the company level, your org level. You're looking at your goals and your priorities for the coming year, or maybe the second half of the year. And you've been doing a big business review. Your your mind is in this like bigger picture, strategic place. And you have to stop yourself and say, okay, do I have the right structure for this strategy? And if if you have this moment, this pause where you think, maybe I don't, like, or maybe there is like there's a there's a part of what we need to execute that's quite different than anything we've ever done before, probably don't have the right setup for this. Then I think you're starting with your own thoughts, which is a good place to start. And you're probably immediately, I would hope, consulting your direct manager or whoever that is. Maybe it's your board if you're the CEO. Maybe it's the CEO if you're a member of the executive team. But you want to have what I would call a low stakes, more exploratory brainstorm discussion, right? Which is, by the way, they're going to appreciate that. They're going to say, wow, thanks. Thanks, Dave, for bringing this up because I was wondering the same thing. I looked at your strategy and I Wondered how you were going to execute, right? Like, do you have the right setup, the right skills in the org? 
And so you want to have that low stakes conversation, ideate with someone you trust, someone who's going to keep it very quiet because this phase zero is not a loud phase. Because again, the ice cream, right now you're probably opening the freezer door. And so you really want to be, be small. And then I think you might expand that circle if you get Again, this could all happen fairly quickly, right? You finished a strategic plan. Now you've had a couple of meetings with with your manager. Then you're probably talking maybe obviously to a trusted HR partner who knows your org and the people involved to get their reaction and their advice. But, you know, maybe there's some colleagues who are implicated, right? You you want people who are going to keep this very quiet, confidential, be a sounding board, poke holes in your idea. And especially if they're implicated, you want them on board. You want them thinking, hey, yeah, maybe this restructure is a good idea for all of us. And that phase doesn't have to be super long, but I hope you keep it super small and quiet. That Mm. would be the goal. Yeah. And so the distinction between that and what you call phase one is you're in phase one, then you open the fridge the ice cream yeah. goes on the counter. You're getting yes. buy-in from the key people who are going to be involved in this. And every reorg, there's people who feel like they came out ahead. And then there's those who feel like, oh, this mm-hmm. wasn't good for me and my career or my team or whatever. The first one's easy, right? But the, that second conversation with the people who feel like this is not a good thing for me, for us, how do you approach those conversations? Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, the ice cream's on the counter and you're wanting to talk to impacted individuals. And as you said, some of those conversations are pretty easy. The ones where people are going to feel some loss, some change in their scope, some change in their responsibility. You want to be really prepared and you need to, I think of it as anything, you need to be able to make the case on the vision. So when you approach that conversation, I think, first of all, also don't approach it with the attitude of this is going to be hard and negative because then you're going to create a negative hard conversation. So your own attitude is really important, which is I have a conviction that we have a better place we're going and this person is going to be part of it, but they need to believe in the same level I believe in this, in the positive side of this. And so don't go in with a negative, oh my God, hard conversation. Go in with, I've got, I mean, this is where I'll be honest, I have some sales in my background. You want to access some of your, your sales skills which are really about what's the value proposition? What, what's, what's, a, what's good in this for the org and for the person? So really prepare yourself to talk about the vision, where you're going, why you think it's the right place, and to talk about the person's role and, and what you see them doing in that vision. And it is going, and what you're saying to them is, yes, this is a different role. And here's why I need you. Here's why you're the right person to do this thing that's different. And in the environments I've operated in, Dave, often what's happening is your business is growing quickly, which is lucky for you, but jobs, like even though it's the same job from two years ago, it's actually not, right? The scope is much bigger. The complexity is much bigger. And you're you're ending up talking to someone about that reality. And you're saying, are you really able to do your best work and focus now that you've got like this much more complexity under you. And and hopefully they're self-aware and they know that and they can say, okay, okay, I'm starting to see where you want this to go. But you've got to be super positive. I hope you are, unless you're managing them out, that they have a role to play. And that's what you want to get them excited about. And I think don't see it as a loss. You're trying to say, this is a gain, but it's different. It's not the gain you were picturing, right? So you're sort of showing them a different gain 
And, and you need some real specifics around why you think that. And I'll just close the point by saying, I, I, in my book, I talk about career conversations and having moments where you really explore long-term where people want to go, what their ambitions are, what skills they want to build. This is where you bring that stuff up. You say, hey, that conversation we had last year about really wanting a different kind of operating experience, say, maybe it's a big role change for them. This is the oper- This is a chance to do that. And it may not feel like that chance right this second, but it really is. People need time to process but and give them some time. But again, you got to keep the pace. So it may be like, I'll talk to you again tomorrow kind of thing. But but I think it's really doable as long as your mindset is positive. Which brings us to phase two, which is create a communications plan and inform those affected. Yeah. What's key here in order to then get the ice cream back in the freezer? Back in the fridge. Yeah. So So here's the thing that I think often goes wrong, which is there's the directly impacted individuals, which is what we were just talking about. And then there are their teams, right? The people under them. But really, it's only that one person whose manager is changing, maybe, or whose job is changing. But a lot of these teams, there isn't that much change. And I think we get caught up in like that the restructure has all these major, major changes for so many people when it's not always such a doesn't have as big a blast radius as you think it does. So yeah, that's that final phase, which is all right, now we've got to go, it's almost like going to broadcast comms, where we've got to make that case, the vision, the why, and then just say, and by the way, that means Pete is now part of Joe's org, and Mary is going to be leading this new division, and these two teams are part of Mary's division, right? That's, here's the, and here, there's the why, and here's what's happening, and And anyone who is directly having a change of their manager knows it already, like at least the day before. But everyone else should be like, they woke up, they saw the communication, they said, huh, okay, hopefully they think this fits with our strategy. This is a good plan. Mm. And they just go back to work, Dave, right? They're like, now, maybe they're getting used to being in, in a new structure for a few weeks. But I think if your leadership team is like on board and bought in, they just start operating. And you can do this whole thing in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah. And there's there's a distinction here. I'm thinking about a book I read years ago called Transitions by William Bridges. And mm. he made this beautiful distinction between change and transition. That change mm-hmm. is external. It happens quickly. And transition mm. is internal. It takes us time to process like yes. what's happened as an individual. And what I'm hearing you say here is... The change, the restructuring, the the ice cream in and out of the freezer, like that happens yeah. quickly. That happens with haste, and but that doesn't mean that there's not an internal transition that happens for people. That people are going to need, especially someone who's been directly affected, are going to need yes. time. And are, there's going to be a few conversations, and there's going to be maybe a few months that someone feels a little bit like, okay, you know, I'm navigating some new stuff. That it's and it's not or. It's it's both of those things at the same time. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that's a hundred percent the right insight, which is there will be the change should be rapid. The transition will take some time, but the transition will go better if you're not doing it while you're still doing the changes, right? Mm. That's where these things go wrong, is you're meeting out these changes in the news and the communicating people are in transition and then they feel like, oh my gosh, I'm just in transition forever, because here's another one. And and I think that's great. But the transition does take time. It really brings us back to where we started, which is the the reorgs when they don't work. I, I think a lot of the times it's not so much the reorg itself; it's because it was not executed well and not explained well. That's right. It's communication and execution, and yeah. those are like you get those things right, you are on a much better path. 
What a great place for us to to leave this conversation. Thank you so much for your perspective on this. You know, I so appreciate the book. And the thing that's really neat about the book is it's not necessarily designed to be read cover to cover, is that you can look at a practical... I mean, we've covered like five pages <laughs> of the book in this yeah. conversation. You can look at a real practical situation and say like, all right, how does a, a leader who's been in the trenches, a practitioner, really handle these questions? And I appreciate all the practical advice you've given. So I hope folks will will track it down. We'll put all the links in the episode notes, of course. Claire Hughes-Johnson is the author of Scaling People, Tactics for Management and Company Building. Claire, thank you so much for your work. Thank you, Dave. If this conversation was helpful right now, several related episodes I'd recommend for you. One of them is episode 257, How to Manage Former Peers. My guest Tom Henschel joined me on that episode. We talked about that reality that tends to happen often in a reorg, and it happens in many other situations too, where you were peers with someone. Now you end up being their manager, or the opposite has happened. They are managing you. How do you transition effectively and navigate a new type of relationship. Episode 257, the step-by-step on one of the things many of us experience but never received any training on how to actually navigate. I'd also recommend episode 370, Three Steps to Great Career Conversations. Russ Laraway was my guest on that episode. We talked about his three-step process for having effective and genuine career conversations with employees. You heard that echoed in this conversation with Claire of understanding more of where people are, what their future is, where they're coming from. That helps you to then connect to the purpose behind the reorg and what you can do to align well. Episode 370 for that. And then finally, you heard a bunch of both ands in this conversation, as you hear in many of our conversations. I recommend episode 612 as well, How to Solve the Toughest Problems. Wendy Smith was my guest on that episode, and we talked in that conversation about how to move away from either-or thinking and move a little bit closer to both and thinking. A lot of invitations there to do that well. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. And if you haven't already, I am inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. That's going to give you access to an entire suite of benefits inside of the free membership on the website, including my weekly leadership guide, all of our free audio courses, my interview and book notes, and tons of other resources that will help you in continuing to further your leadership development. All of that at coachingforleaders.com. You can set up your free membership and you'll have full access in just a few moments. And if you're looking for something a bit more, uh, sometimes folks ask me, hey, I'd love to hear more from you. And the episodes you mentioned at the end of every episode that integrate some of the further thinking, I'd love to get more of that. And if that is you, I am writing a monthly long-form article that integrates many of the the expert advice, the wisdom, the perspective from a lot of our guests over the years and bringing them together to answer a very specific problem. That is part of Coaching for Leaders Plus. If you'd like to look at some of the key benefits of Coaching for Leaders Plus, in addition to the monthly long-form article from me, you can find out more by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash plus. A lot more available there. Start with the free membership if you haven't set it up, though, first, coachingforleaders.com to do that. Next Monday, I'm glad to welcome Bonnie back to the show. We're returning for a question and answer episode. 
If you have a question that you'd like us to consider for it or one of our future episodes, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And I'll see you back on Monday for a chat with Bonnie. Take care.